This is The Culture Code with Kevin Cruz, founder and CEO of LeadX, the platform that helps you scale and sustain a high-performance culture. Hello, everyone. I'm Kevin Cruz. Welcome to Culture Code, our guest today. I'm very excited. She's the Chief People Officer at Bristlecone, Lisa Lesko. Lisa, welcome. And where are you joining from today? I am actually joining from Chicago, Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. I'm just outside Philadelphia. I haven't been to Chicago in a little while. Is Chicago where the company is located or are you working remotely? I work remotely. I was actually hired during COVID. So we were all lucky you at that time. (laughs) (laughs) So we created an opportunity, I think. And actually, our headquarters is in San Jose, California. And we also have another operation in Dallas and large operation in India. And we have four sites in India as well and a growing site in Europe. Oh, that sounds great. I just spent a month in San Jose. I got back a couple of weeks ago. And I don't know how well you know San Jose. I was staying at this place called Santana Row. Do you know that Santana? Yes, yes. Were you staying at the Valencia? Valencia? I was in an apartment there for a month. (laughs) So I wasn't at that beautiful hotel. But I'm trying to describe it to my friends. And I say, it's sort of like this retail bubble (laughs) of high-end shops, 30 restaurants and bars, apartments above, totally fake. And I loved it. It's kind of like a Disneyland. (laughs) Right. Oh, it's fun. I was just there a few weeks ago and we actually went to Santana Row. I can't go there without going to that place. I think it's going to be where I take every September from now on. It was so delightful. Yes. The weather's perfect. And yeah, it's a great place to be. So, Lisa, I think um, many of our listeners will not be familiar with Bristlecone. So in plain language, tell us, what do you all do? So Bristlecone is a leading supply chain consulting organization, which is comprised of close to 3,000 employees. So we work with our customers to understand their needs and provide solutions that create overall business value. We have five capability areas or areas of expertise that we can bring to our customers. So that includes SAP, which is probably where we do most of our business, but we also specialize in connected platforms, platform solutions, AI and analytics, and modern engineering. So some of the things that we would do or where we play, for example, would be cognitive manufacturing. So how do we get smarter and faster to get to production? Or how do we accelerate time to market? So we help and our customers solution some of these things to really create success. And one other thing I just wanted to mention is that we also sit within the umbrella of the Mahindra companies, which is a $21 billion revenue company with a large portfolio and includes automotive, farm equipment, technology services, but there are many other areas that covers as well. And Mahindra company itself sits in India. We're here, obviously, to talk about culture. Culture is a funny thing. It's kind of hard to even describe what culture is, and it can be hard Mm -hmm. to describe a high-performance culture. We all know it when we see it, but each company tends to have a unique culture. So how would you describe it to someone like myself, an outsider? Well, and this is one of our taglines, that we thrive on change. So we're agile, engaging, empowering, supporting, and flexible. We're also very learning-focused, inclusive, and global. So we really have a thirst and passion to learn more. We invest heavily in this as an organization. We listen and respond to our employees. That's very important to us. 
And we're global, not only geographically, but also in celebrating and appreciating different cultures. You mentioned a lot of great traits and attributes, agile, flexible, inclusive. You are a global organization. Many Mm -hmm. work remotely. There's a lot of factors in here. So this kind of culture doesn't just happen by itself, right? It's not random that you've come up with that. So what are you doing to foster this very intentional, high-performing culture? We walk the talk. The elements of our employee value proposition, which we've put together, it's been derived from the voice of the employees. So we don't have to foster it within, we live it. So with regards to new hires, the teams that we look for, we look for facets and ensure the people joining us will thrive from within. And also our policies and practices are also written to enhance the value we live by. We also have brought in a number of different initiatives. I think that's really helped to foster culture, our People Week initiative. It's aimed at bringing people together, fostering collaboration, learning, networking, building a sense of community among employees, both physically and virtually. We implemented My Day Friday. It's a program that encourages employees to devote the second half of Fridays to aspirational projects, self-development, or planning even for the next week. And then during this time, we frown against meetings and employees are encouraged to use the time in the most meaningful way so they can be more productive. So it's their own time. We also successfully transitioned to a work from home culture with over 82% utilization for our billable employees. And this really was a testament to the trust and loyalty that we have in our workforce. We also have um, Triumph, which is our annual recognition event, and it's dedicated to recognizing talent, celebrating success, and really just having fun. And the event has engaged more than 75% of our employees and has provided this sense of camaraderie and shared success amongst our employees. We also have put together some inclusive leave policies. We've assured that our PTO and parental leaves in all countries are above industry standards. We also offer unlimited vacation time for exempt employees in the U.S. We also offer medical benefits with options like gender reassignment, surrogacy, and infertility. Live-in and same-gender partners are also covered. We also added work from home for expectant mothers and for parents until their child turns the age of one-year-old. So those are just a few of some of the programs that we put in place that I think is really driven a lot of engagement in a high-performing culture. Lisa, you just write off so many cool programs and generous benefits. And I want to underscore for our listeners that you actually started talking about hiring. And there are some, I mean, I'm not in this camp, but like Jim Collins wrote Good to Great. And he even says, you don't change culture, you hire culture. Like people are a certain way. So if you want people to be innovative and creative. You don't hire people that want to wear the same clothes every day and eat the same meal at the same restaurant every Friday, right? So there's a lot of truth to that, right? So it starts with the hiring and then all these other things to maintain it and to sustain it, I guess, is the answer. Exactly. It covers the whole life cycle. And you have to look at these facets and what's important to the culture and what we look for in people who can thrive in this culture you need to look through the whole life cycle from the time they start to the time they leave the company, right? Um, You wanna make sure that that's baked in to everything that we do. You mentioned you've got roughly 3000 employees. So I'm just Mm -hmm. guessing ballpark, you might have 500 people managers, give or take out there. Mm -hmm. And I'm always curious about what organizations are doing to develop their leaders, especially their frontline leaders, because 
by definition, they're the ones that are the filter of everything for 80% of your workforce. But you're not a huge company. You probably don't have huge teams of leadership development professionals and all these things. <laughs> so what are some of the ways that you're trying to develop and support your managers, especially frontline managers? We have multiple channels in which we do this. But probably what has been our most successful model is what we call high engage. And it's our holistic engagement model that we implement in the organization. And what it's done is really help to connect managers with their employees. So we kind of went back to basics and said, what's the role of a manager and what role do they play? And as we were going through COVID, the great resignation, things like that, we were trying to find out why were people leaving the company? And our attrition was at 27%. Mm. And this was a year and a half ago. So we started to talk to our employees. And a big part of it was, we want to talk to our managers. Our managers are not connecting with us. So we actually took the time to retrain our managers on the role they play. And what we did is we actually equipped them with an engagement report card how to connect with their employees. We gave them a script. Here are some of the things that you can talk about. Here's what you should be asking. We want to retain our employees and we want to have their role be one that helps us to do that. It's not just my team's role, right? It's the role of the manager to ensure that their employees are engaged. And so what we did is we actually put together an engagement report card where we assess red, amber, and green. And if anybody was a red, that meant action. So then the manager would work to figure out, okay, what actions do I need to take mm-hmm. to ensure that we were being inclusive with employees, that we were addressing their needs, and then maybe making some changes to existing initiatives we had that could help employees you know, move forward. We also use um, feedback that we get from engagement surveys and things like that to really help our managers to kind of figure out what are the good actions that they should be taking. We also have introduced what we call this metacompetency framework. So what it does is actually it introduces kind of career pathing and learning at different levels of work. So for managers, we can actually kind of work with them if they aspire to be a manager or if they are a manager, what they should be doing at certain stages of their development so they can acquire the necessary skills and the knowledge to be effective line managers in the future. Now, Lisa, you were very transparent and said at one point you guys were looking at 27% attrition. Is it too early to see the positive impact you've made? No. In fact, we actually reduced our attrition to, we got down to 16%. And as of, I was looking at our attrition today and we're at 12% attrition. So what we've been able to do is create It's been a 17 to 18% reduction in attrition. We've also reversed 166 resignations that we've had. So just by connecting with our employees, getting managers more engaged, it really helped us to understand what was on our employees' minds and to really address those needs. And so it's been a huge success. I mean, across the company, the engagement has improved. We had our most recent engagement survey, highest ever, in Bristol-Cone, our EMPS doubled. So if you look at our glass door, our glass door was hovering around 3.6, 3.7. We're at 4.1. So many things have begun to happen. Our goal now going forward is to keep it this way. We don't want to lose that. We've embedded the manager and employee engagement in the system. It's been a huge factor 
to our success and engagement of our employees. So we want to continue to do this. You got those incredible improvements in, I think you said less than two years, right? Yes. Yes. We did this in a a year and a half and we had to, I mean, 27% attrition was so high and it was alarming. Right. And so we had to be intentional about it and just go back to basics. And it was such an improvement in how our managers have been engaging with employees. They've learned a lot themselves. I think sometimes a manager takes on a new role and sometimes they try to do the same things that they were doing as an individual contributor. And they don't get kind of the basic, what's the role I play? It's not just about delivering results. That's a part of it. But it's also about managing and leading your teams. And how do you do that? So by the engagement that we had with the managers, it's made a tremendous difference. And Lisa, you just gave a big gift to all the listeners, so many of your peers out there. For anyone listening, hit rewind in case they zoned out for a second and didn't hear everything you said. Because I was asking about leadership development. And a lot of people will give the answer of, oh, we send them all to this workshop about giving feedback or we send them to this workshop. And that's fine. And you probably have some workshops, you know, okay, I'm not anti-workshop purely, but we know that workshops generally don't change behaviors. And those kinds of training workshops don't generally move the needle on engagement. When you talk about, I love this phrase, they get this manager report card, it's color-coded, they're given help. We counsel all the time, sure, do the once a year, twice a year employee voice survey, but do manager effectiveness surveys, whatever you call them internally, manager effectiveness surveys. So managers get their own scorecard on how their team members, it's not a 360, it's a 180 that really counts. How are they being graded? What are the Mm -hmm. behaviors that drive that engagement? Managers to spend more time leading their people, give them a score on how well they're leading their people, right? (laughs) Things, you measure it, it improves. What a concept. It trickles into, because managers are about 70% of engagement, Inevitably, as your managers get better, overall engagement improves, and that leads to lower turnover, improved productivity all down the road. It's very real. Congratulations. And I want everybody to steal this approach. It's been a a tremendous intervention in the organization. And this has gone from employees to managers to our CEO and our board, because this was a huge concern. I mean, if we have employees walking out the door and we're not finding out what's making them tick or why they're leaving and not intervening and taking action, we're not going to be productive. In that year and a half time, we just were very intentional. We were very hands-on. It was a lot of work to get this in place, but to see how much this has improved our intrition and that people are excited and engaged and and we're hearing it all the time. It's just incredible. Lisa, you already talked about employee voice surveys and this manager scorecard. Have we kind of already covered all the ways that you're sort of getting feedback from people or are there other things you're doing? Yeah. So there's other things that we do. We have ELT town halls. So anytime that any of our ELT are traveling, we make sure that they're having town halls and connecting with people, not just in their own business unit, but across. So we make an effort to do that. We invest in taking people out to lunch, right? And, you know, or high potentials that we want to make sure we want to retain. I would say our ELT is very approachable. People feel very comfortable, you know, kind of having conversations and going to lunch and talking. We've also um, put together, so instead of calling it more formally, like a quarterly business review, we changed the name of our series to call it Let's Talk. 
what we wanted was not just the executive leadership team talking to our employees and sharing information. We wanted to interact. So we called it Let's Talk. Not only do we share updates, but we try to create a free-flowing conversation with leadership and employees. And we leave lots of time for question and answers. And all of our executive leadership team are on this call. They're available. So any questions across any of our business units can be addressed at that time. And it's been really effective, right, just to open up the lines of communication and encourage employees to come forward and voice their feedback, concerns, whatever it might be. We also did some ELT up close sessions, Mm. and this was about just one ELT member talking to a random group of employees. What we decided to do is look at where was the highest attrition occurring, and then just to have a random selection of people we would invite. And through these sessions, we actually would just say, find out just very casual what's working well, what are some opportunities. So we found out a lot of good information of just some of this low-hanging fruit that we could actually change, right? And make changes for the better. And then we could communicate back and say, hey, we've done this. But then we also found some, just some bigger issues and things like that, that we could go back and address. And whether it was at organization level, a BU level, or even just within the work group, manager work group, we could notify the right people, talk to them about what we found out, and we could start to put some actions into place. We also have peer groups that we've created. So we have an employee council consisting of employees across. um, It's about seven people, but employees across Bristol Cone. And so these are peers that basically talk to people, keep their ears to the ground. If they hear of anything that's going on, that maybe an employee doesn't feel comfortable coming to their manager or a leader, or even my people and culture team, they can talk to a peer and basically talk about their concerns. Then that peer can come and share with us in a broad-based situation and also anonymously, just maybe some concerns that are out there. We also do have what we call code champions and they are representative of our code of conduct. So what we've done is we have aligned them across each of our business units and they are also kind of peers to help uphold our code of conduct. And be there if anyone is seeing anything that's happening that might be against the code of conduct and could either advise or seek help if needed. So we like having these peers also there because I think employees feel more comfortable just talking to someone that they you know can talk and feel a little bit more safer. So we wanted to give them another channel to express some of these things. And we also do have an online uh, system as well. If someone wants to file a complaint or anything, they can use our online system. They can do it anonymously or, you know, if they wish to disclose, they can, but then we take it and we look into it. And we also have an ethics and governance council that we've put together, which is some of our leadership team. And we look at some of these, if we do get anything that might be concerning, we discuss as a council how to do it and then what the next steps would be. So we have multiple channels where people can feel free to talk or disclose anything going on or just give feedback. And I think that's really helped us to show that we have this culture of listening within the organization. Lisa, you mentioned so many stealable ideas already Mm -hmm. from My Day Friday to Let's Talk, the Mm -hmm. peer groups, the, the manager cards. 
you've covered a lot. Is there anything else you'd want to talk about or put a spotlight on just because you're especially proud of it or got good results? Or have we covered the best things? Yeah, I think we've covered some of the best things. One other thing I would say is that we have really built a culture of learning. And I am not the type of person that says you have to, every employee has to have a certain amount of learning hours, right? Each year. What I want to do is create a pull factor. I want people to want to learn. So we put the learning in front of people and encourage them to learn. What we did starting last year, and we're going, this is now going to be an annual event. We have a learning month that we set aside for all types of learning, whether it would be functional standpoint, organizational learning, even ethics and governance type learning. All learning would be kind of centered in this one month to encourage people to take advantage and take the time to do some of these learnings. And we do it during the month of November and we call it no November. <laughs> so K-N-O-W. <laughs> and it actually was widely successful. And we had so many people participate. And we also created healthy competition amongst each of the business units to encourage people to learn more. So this really also helped the business because you know the learning they needed to see from a functional standpoint, as well as organizational learning, we really created this pull factor. So it was more fun. And so people wanted to learn. And we actually achieved over 42 hours of learning per employee for that. And that month is what really contributed to that. So it was really incredible how we were able to achieve that. But we offered all kinds of learning too. And we also included families. So a lot of our events, we don't do this for every event, but for a lot of our events, like our November, our People Week, we try to look for opportunities to include family. And I think this has become even more important, especially since COVID. People's lives, their work life has intertwined. Their families are very important to them as well. So we want to give opportunities for the family to also participate. So we had some fun learning for the families as well. And so I think it was really well received and we got some lot of positive feedback and we're going to do it again this November as well. So we're in the process of planning for that. But this was something that I think was very valuable within the organization and really created that pull factor for learning. Lisa, you stumbled on, I think, an interesting concept about the pull factor for culture of learning. There's a company, I won't name them, actually a client who they're a company that has uh, sort of an expectation that one hour a week is, mm -hmm. well, it is an expectation. One hour mm -hmm. a week, everybody in the company will spend for learning. Yeah. And when I first heard about this and the way they phrased it, it was, in my mind, 100% great idea. Why isn't everyone doing this? Because the way they said it, it's, look, if it's, we're asking everybody to do it, then managers yeah. can't say, Lisa, what are you doing reading that book, taking that <laughs> learning, watching that TED Talk, whatever? We got a deadline to hit, right? No, it's <laughs> baked in as part of the job. And I thought, wow, what a great idea is just sort of mandated. But then many others said the problem with that is yeah. then people are being forced into that time and mm -hmm. they might actually just tap, tap, tap to get through that e-learning program or scroll right. to the bottom of that document so you get credit <laughs> for it or whatever it might be. And I wrote a book called Great Leaders Have No Rules about this idea of even if you set yeah. rules with good intentions. Yeah. People will won't own it. People will get around right. it. People won't get do what you actually it's want true. them to do, even if it looks like they're it's doing. True. So right. you're saying in your organization's case, you know, rather than sort of just, hey, here's a mandate, here's a rule, mm -hmm. here's the expectation, 
let's create something fun. Let's thematic. All of our leadership can model it and provide incentives and pull people to it. At least in your case, something that's really working well. (laughs) Yes. And it was funny. I mean, we set our own internal goals and we would love for employees to have 40 hours of learning, right? And if we can achieve that, that's great. But to an employee, as you said, you can't just tell them that because it becomes a mandate. It's something, it's a chore, right? Something they have to do. And that's not what we wanted. We wanted the learning to be meaningful. We wanted to pull people into learning, show them all the opportunities to learn. And we actually give learning credits uh, for people who do participate in our different learning opportunities. And the outcome turned out to be even higher than what our goal we were hoping to get to just by creating fun in learning and creating, showing all the opportunities and and creating this sense of competition, but also camaraderie around the teams. That was a way that we were able to get the learning hours. And the outcome was exactly what we were hoping for, but employees never felt that it was something that was mandated or a chore. (laughs) So Lisa, this is a a short format podcast. I could talk forever. You can tell I can geek out (laughs) on this stuff forever, but I want to hit you with some fast, fun questions with the minutes that we have left. We're talking now, it's the early October. So November is coming up. If you could send all your colleagues, say a book or a podcast or something, and they guaranteed they would read it, consume it, take it to heart, what would you maybe send them? I would say, and this was a book that was introduced to me, it's called Grit, The Power of Passion and Perseverance. It's by Angela Lee Duckworth. And it's really interesting. She explores the concept of grit, which she defines as the combination of passion and perseverance toward long-term goals. So if everyone in the organization could read this, it offers valuable insights into some of our human behavior and our approach to achievement. This would be really interesting to promote some of these principles within the organization. So employees can develop resilience and the determination needed to thrive in their careers and contribute to organization goals and ultimately drive overall success. And Also, the one thing that we say at Bristlecone, because we're a smaller company, we're really looking for those who have that passion to be here and and that growth mindset. We are looking to grow as an organization. And she also correlates grit to having a growth mindset. So it's a critical skill set for us here at Bristlecone. What's something that you know now that maybe you wish you knew on your first day becoming chief people officer? You know, if you could give advice to a younger version of yourself, what would that advice be? Yeah, I think it was kind of more that there's a very delicate balance between the business focus and the people focus. And I think when I first started, how you learn, it's very much focused on supporting the business and enabling the business. But I think there's been a lot of learning. And I would say, you know, I'm always learning. And I think even COVID, was eye-opening because it really was about how do we connect with our people? And I think the focus shifted from business leaders running an organization and we support the business leaders to we really need to support our people, right? And people are the most important. We are a consulting services company. So our business is our people, right? And I think what happened during COVID and what I witnessed even being here was the way our leadership team came together to support our people in need. Our people are our biggest asset. They are our business. So we need to take care of them, listen to them, be transparent, 
provide opportunities and really develop them. And I think based on this kind of renewed focus on people, I even changed the name of our team from human resources to people and culture. Because to me, this is our priority. And I think it's what we care most about. Yeah, I love that focus. I often say, well, I say it all the time, no one's ever taken me up on it, but I wish big companies, especially just because of the footprint of the number of employees would change the word manager to coach. (laughs) There's some magic in naming and from human resources, which doesn't always have a positive connotation to people and culture. It's like, okay, this is what it's really ultimately about. It's right there in the name. Exactly. And it's made a huge difference. I think people feel that we're different, right? You know, that we're listening and we're not just about administration and we're not just supporting the business leaders. I mean, we have a balance, right? We support our leaders, but we also support the people. So I think that to me was eye-opening from what you learn early in your career and what we think we're supposed to do to what we need to do. And I think we defined ourselves here at Bristlecone. And and I've been in large companies too. And I, I will attest to that it's it is, I've seen, I've seen the good, I've seen the bad, right? And yep. I think that what we've been able to experience here coming into a smaller company, we can make that impact. We can change this culture and really set our culture moving in the right direction and helping people feel valued about what they do every day. I see a difference within our leadership, within my own team, and how we operate and work with our employees. And the engagement surveys tell it, the glass door rating definitely sends a message, you know, our net promoter score. So all of these things are giving us a clear message that we're doing the right thing. And that's what's most important. So Lisa, last question for you. Having success in a great environment, digital transformation is a long-term trend. It was accelerated by the pandemic. I'm sure all five of your core areas are thriving. So what are you most excited about for the company right now? Yeah, we are actually focused on a new effort, and it's a collaboration between my talent development or learning team and our AI and analytics area. So we're working on um, future scaling, right? So generative AI has been a huge term that we're hearing about. So we are taking a step to ensure all of our developers go through a new training, be it blend of self-paced learning and instructor-led training, which will also include pre and post assessments. And I think it's been a great collaboration and something that we're putting together now So people can actually learn and be familiar with some of these new terms like chat GPT. It's been amazing. I mean, I've been using it sometimes, you know, where you can actually, if you have a question or you're trying to create maybe a slide, a presentation, you can actually put this out on chat GPT and it gives you all this data, right? That you can use in your presentation or it's just everything at your fingertips. So it's pretty amazing. And so We want to make sure that our employees, that especially in our AI and analytics area and other developers across our organization are aware of these tools and are proficient in this and taking advantage of some of these new AI applications. So this is exciting for me and it's something that we've just kicked off and looking forward to seeing how this all, you know, plays out in the coming year. We'll come back in nine months to hear about how that came out, because I'm sure this is going to be on a lot of people's minds. (laughs) 
Exactly. And we are just so excited to be working together on this. And we're looking for these opportunities where we can work and collaborate directly with our business. And and then also kind of the more that we can build this skill set internally, how do we also deliver this right to our customers? Because this is going to be you know, something interesting to our customers as well. So we see this as a win-win opportunity here for the future. Lisa Lesko, Chief People Officer of Bristlecone, thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, thank you. This has been a lot of fun. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode of the Culture Code Podcast. Are you looking to build, refine, or revamp a training program? We team up with companies like Northwestern Mutual, Cineos Health, and Duck Creek Technologies to roll out highly engaging training series for emerging leaders, new managers, women in leadership, high potential managers, sales enablement, and more. Check it out at leadx.org. What makes these series so uniquely engaging? We help you build a full system of development that leverages our cutting edge platform and world-class training. We blend together world-class cohort-based virtual training and group coaching, personalized nudges, micro-learning, and on-demand office hour style coaching. Go check it out at leadx.org.